Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. He's an American in uh, an American car company, Ford, Henry Ford. And his quote was, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And I take that in my personal life. I take that in my business. I take that in my relationships with, with you know, in spirituality, in, in my physical fitness, all those types of things is that the first step of doing anything is that you have to believe that you can't. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. Well, 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 I'm not sure about that right now. Hey, how are you doing? My name is V Koo, and you are now listening to my show, The Real Estate Lab Podcast. That would have been my normal opening, okay? But in the middle of a crazy world that we're living in, I'm not sure if that's uh, appropriate to use that same opening anymore. However, I still think that this is the best time to get involved in real estate. Why? Well, the coronavirus um, has been hitting us in the U.S. here in the last month. Um, worldwide in, in China even started back in December of 2019. Now, all of a sudden in the last few weeks, I'm, I'm sure you have seen a lot of people who are putting out misleading information and a lot of people who are coming out and uh, providing us their opinion. A bunch of basically what I call self-proclaimed experts on the topic. You know, a lot of people who are now doing virtual summit webinars on, on how COVID-19 will affect the real estate market, how uh, the market would change. A few weeks ago, you know, they were... they basically says everything was fine the economy is great and now all of a sudden they cannot even get financing and they uh, and they are changing shifting gear to basically teach you something else saying that hey by the way these are the things that i have noticed and um yeah you should listen to me because i'm an expert now you know because of the, the situation i'm in just be careful who you're paying attention to and who you're listening to. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying these people are uh, not expert. They, if they have done their own research and done enough research, okay, fine. You know, that's cool. But if you're just telling me your opinion and you're saying now you're an expert, you might not want to listen to them. And how are you doing, my friends? I hope you're doing wonderful. And your residents are paying you. Everything is fine. You have been able to communicate with your lenders to get forbearance. If um, you're in that situation where your tenants cannot pay you and um, your government is asking you to allow them to stay in and giving them rent holiday. Let's hope that you have the help you need from your lender. All right, let me shift gear a little bit and talk about today's episode. So who is my guest today? 
You know, I thought about this. My podcasts usually have a bunch of guests who just we record these episodes well in advance, and I don't even plan on what I will release next week. It's just based on the mood that I'm in, and amidst all of this craziness going on and uncertainty, there's one thing that I. Will say our guest today is like is the perfect fit. He was born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Yeah, that's right. I've now expanded across the border. Now I have someone in Canada. His podcast is going international, baby. Just kidding. I actually have audience listen to this podcast all the way to in Vietnam, South Africa, Spain. I guess. Actually attended Mohawk College and graduated with a degree in marketing. He went on to use his education while working in the sales industry for several years, and、um, he then uses his sales experience and public speaking skills to become a master、uh, at what he's doing. His name is Alfonso Salemi. Alfonso started doing rent-to-own back in 2014 and incorporated Jack Properties that same year. And now he is speaking at many conferences and and meetup groups. Alfonso is actually running a RIA in、um, Canada. You can also listen to his podcast, the Right Club Podcast, R E I T E Club Podcast, online, and you can visit it at、um, you can visit his website at www. Jack J A A G Properties.com or www.reiteclub.com, and the reason why I think this episode fit us well is because of the uncertainties going on. When you're doing this type of rent-to-own program, you're making money, and there's not much risk to you. I know this is not the Commercial niche that we are used to talking about. However, I think it's really beneficial to you. So let's dive right in. This is my conversation with Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Alfonso, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on today, man. Oh, I'm so pumped、uh, to be on the show, and、uh, thank you so much for for having me on, V. I'm super、uh, super excited. This is going to be good. I'm I'm glad to have you on. I'm officially international now. I have guests outside the country. Am I the first? Am I the first from Canada? Yes. All right,、yeah. go Canada, go man, go Canada. Yeah,、right、first on. one, first one. Yeah.、Um, I feel like you know it's the、uh, NHL going across now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Expanded into into Canada. We have we have、uh, we have real estate up here as well too. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Can you、uh, share with the audience、um, stories about how you、uh, first get started and get involved in real estate, and why did you choose real estate as a field to、uh, focus in? Yeah, absolutely, and I'll I'll even rewind a little bit further back. Is that、uh, from a young age, from like in, in elementary school in grade seven, grade eight, there was like a career day where、uh, some students' parents would come in, and one of the kids, their their dad was a sales、uh, salesman for a shoe company, and he brought in shacks, saw thirty two 
foot or whatever size 32 uh shoe and it was like so impressive and he says yeah that's what we sell and he was a salesman and and he talked about sales so i really got the passion from from business and sales at an early age and uh i took that you know in 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 college um i got a marketing diploma that i took uh at, at a community college in hamilton ontario uh canada hamilton ontario canada um and uh, so there's always a sales background. And then I worked for a few different companies, UPS, um, some, some other American sales companies. And I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think anybody that's in and around the real estate world or even kind of living life on your own terms or, or kind of that financial freedom, have either heard of the book or heard somebody talk about the book. I think that's one book that's changed so many lives. Maybe the only other one is maybe the Bible, or, but um that uh, that rich dad poor dad book changed my life i i read that and then shortly after i got involved and started taking some courses to learn more about specific strategies and and how to that you know invest to to invest in real estate so those were that was the early introduction that i caught the bug and it was like drinking water from a fire hose i didn't you know i didn't know what strategy there was you know multifamily there was wholesaling there was the rent to own there was you know rental properties there lending there's so many different types uh, of real estate that i didn't really know where to focus so i took a bunch of these courses to see which one spoke to me and and uh, early on again i i kind of gravitated towards the rent to own strategy and that that was really my start and and in, in real estate and kind of uh an introduction to it and what was it about the rent to own that uh, kind of enticed you into this this whole strategy and this niche? Yeah. So what really appealed to me about the rent to own strategy was I, I viewed it as a lower risk than your normal conventional rental properties, where um, the renters, the people that are living in the property, actually have a vested interest in the property. They're going to own the house. So if you're going to own something, you're going to maintain it and take care of it. So that's what, you know, when not being, you know, having a real estate background really in sales, the only thing I knew about real estate, you know, if you're an investor, is you're a landlord and, you know, you hear all the, the horror stories about tenants never paying and breaking things and leaking toilets in the middle of the night, right? This is what you hear. So I thought, well, if rent to own, if these people are invested in, in the program, in the house, they're going to take care of it, right? So that's what spoke to me. And then obviously, there was some really good returns on on these types of investments if you did it right and you did it properly that you could help a lot of people own their home you could help you yourself and other investors um make a great return on their investment so those were the the, the few things that really jumped off and, and said you know what that's the the rent zone strategy is the one that i'm gonna kind of move forward with right right and so when when did you um go down this path with the, you know, from reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad to the point where you decided um, that you will focus into uh, the rent to own niche. Yeah, I, I read the book at, uh, at the end of 2009. So just as the turn of the last century, I, I was just towards the end of 2009 that I read the book and then early 2010, 11, um, that's when I was taking my education classes and, and starting to get involved with Know, networking and meeting other investors and and really having that mindset of you know then I read the cash flow quadrant another Robert Kiyosaki book um you know and, and really looking at real estate as a business and I've always had that like a business background but it was always in sales selling a product you know a service something like that so this was a way that you know you could think of real estate as a business not as a landlord so that that's when it was kind of so now it's like 
it's crazy to think it's been you know almost 11 years uh, or just under just over 10 um from the beginning of the journey and, and how much you know i i've learned and acquired but so much more out there to to learn and and uh I don't think I think it's an endless journey, really, of finding out. But uh, yeah, it's been good, almost a yeah, solid decade or so. Right, right, and it's just like in anything. If you want to get better, you always have to learn new concept, and and that's why, you know, I kind of started this podcast is to learn from folks like you, yourself, and and other experts in the industry because there are so many things that um, I don't even know about. Yeah, and you know, it, it's people like yourself that really, really makes this this world of real estate investing and real estate education um, unique. Is that that's the cool part is that we're open and sharing with each other because it's not just you that don't know or me that doesn't know. I'm sure the people listening to this podcast right now, there's tons of questions, things that they want to learn more about, and it seems like sometimes in other industries, it's like, well, you know, does McDonald's tell us what's in the secret Big Mac sauce? No, because they don't want somebody <laughs> to copy it. Um, right. Because there's only so many burger places. You and I, if we're going to go have lunch, there's we're going to have lunch. There's only so many burger places you can go. But within real estate, there's so many different strategies. And even within uh, similar or same strategies, there's different nuances that even if you and I had the same type of real estate business, whether it's rent to own or another, we would have different views on what our level of success is and what we want to achieve in our own life. So when... When we're collaborating and talking with other people, it's not so much, oh, I'm going to tell you my secrets because I think, you know, I'm not, sorry, I'm not going to tell you my secrets because I think you're going to do it better than me and you're going to, you know, and, and hide that from me. It's more like open here. This is what I'm doing. Tell me what you're doing. And it's not one plus one is two. It's like in most cases, it'd be like one plus one equals five, right? And coming up with so many amazing different ideas and strategies to work co co um, co co cohesively in the right, same right. Yeah. And some and sometimes you bounce ideas off of each other because sometimes I have done this kind of deals before and you haven't, or sometimes you have done it before and I don't know anything about. Just like what we're talking about today um, with your company, uh, Jack Properties, you guys are up there in the in Canada and I'm here in the U.S. I mean, there I'm sure there are things that you know I'm not aware. I'm just ignorant because I know about the U.S. market, nothing else. Uh, absolutely, and 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 this is the thing is when I took that education, it, it was a little bit of American focused, and and it was going on in the states, uh, in rent to own, and we're up here in Ontario, so you know, um, just outside, like I guess the the, the big cities, Toronto, the GTA, but our head office is out of London, Ontario, and then I have a satellite office which is about maybe thirty thirty minutes from Toronto, and it's it is a strategy that you know it, it's been used for you know, decades, probably from, you know, the 50s, 60s, when people couldn't qualify or, or couldn't buy a home. But, you know, it's done different ways. It's not, it's not regulated. There's not, you know, one way to do a rent to own. There's, and then that's some of the challenges that we see. But what we've kind of put together is really a solid system of where we're helping tenant buyers, clients, like they, they, who the people that can't qualify for a mortgage for one reason or another today, and we're analyzing and saying, okay, if you do this, this, and this, these three things, if it's credit, income, and down payment, those three things, then we can help you own your home in a short period of time, typically three years. So, um, yeah, and, and then that's the cool part. So we've done it across Ontario um, with, with our projects. And 
yeah, and, and just because you know the, the the USA is so big, I one day see some maybe expansion or growth into the U.S. is just because there's so many more Americans than there are Canadians. The possibilities are just you know literally ten times uh, the amount. So, um, but yeah, like we can kind of dig into a little bit of how the process works or or how it goes. But yeah, I think it's something that in Canada, U.S., I'm sure there are similarities and a little bit of differences as well too. Exactly. And before we get started, though, I want to take a step back. Can you explain to us what um, Jack means? How do you how did you come up with that name? Yeah, so it was the original founders of the company. So, um, but now it's myself and my business partner Adam. That's why we're the, the two A's in Jag, and that was really kind of the concept of it. And, and now Adam and I have kind of taken the reins and and uh, continued to grow the company and, and and build and grow. And that's uh, yeah, that was really kind of the, how the name got started. But uh, but now what we're doing and helping so many other people, it's so it's so much evolved from where where we originally started from. And it's a legitimate business with staff and. In, in the team that I never thought, you know, that I would be, a, you know, I'd be at the helm with my co-founder and, and business partner, Adam, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's been great. Alfonso, go ahead and uh, explain to us the rent to own process. How does it work in Canada? Yeah. So in, in Canada, what we do is we're constantly looking for a, a client, a tenant buyer that can't qualify for a mortgage. It's usually because their, their credit score um, is low their their income whether it's not declared properly or uh the taxes haven't been paid or um you know it's a little bit lower than what the banks are looking for is is another problem and then down payment there there isn't enough saved the client doesn't have enough down payment saved for a a lender or a bank or a mortgage company that that uh qualifies them for the mortgage so we take those clients and say well listen if you improve your credit score by hundred points. If you claim an extra thirty thousand dollars on your income, or if you save up an extra, you know, fifteen to twenty, thirty thousand dollars, then you'll be able to qualify for a mortgage. And we think if you do A, B, and C, that you will be able to qualify for a mortgage in typically three years. So we have um, about ninety-eight projects in currently in operation right now, where these clients are at either the beginning middle or towards the end of their rental program, improving their credit, right? Claiming their income properly over those three years when they do their tax returns and saving up part of their monthly payment is actually a down payment savings that goes back towards their down payment when they buy the property back from us. Okay. So that's the client, the tenant buyer, the person that we're looking for. Um, so on your side, how do you buy that property? that the tenant buyer, I understand that you, your program from our phone call is a little bit different. You have the tenant goes out and find the properties, right? That's right. That's right. So, so who, once, who buys that property? Yeah. So initially when it first started, my business partner and Adam and I was, was one of us that would qualify and buy the property ourselves. It was a single family home. We'd go get conventional mortgage based on, you know, the jobs that we were working at. We would qualify for the mortgage have the capital and come up with a mortgage. And then very quickly, we got capped in terms of what we could purchase and buy ourselves. So we went to the, the joint venture route where, you know, the people that I met in some of these classes and courses and education I took wanted to be investors, but didn't have the time to do it. So we reached out to just individual investors that wanted a little bit of better return than what they were getting on, you know, RSPs and, you know, mutual funds and that kind of stuff. And we offer this as, as an investment product that basically 
Um, we would manage and facilitate the whole program. They would provide the capital and, and the, the, the ability to qualify for a mortgage. And we would do the vetting process of the clients. So once we had the client approved, once we found that client and they've approved and they've accepted that mission that they need to change A, B, and C in the next three years, then we would partner together with a real estate investor or an investor or an individual that wanted to invest that had the capability. So then we would have a budget and we'd have the investor. And then that tenant buyer, that client would go out and shop for a property of the, that would fit within their budget. They get to choose the home. So they get to go pick the school district, the you know close to shopping centers, uh, where they want to be, as long as it's within our budget, um, then the investor themselves, through a joint venture agreement with us, we purchase the property um, and basically set the rates and how much the client needs to save. And we're the ones that are actually facilitating the client being successful through the program by putting in um, you know uh, quarterly meetings with the client, some financial goals, uh, what the targets are. So basically laying it out for the client of what they need to do so that they are successful and qualify for the mortgage at the end. And then at the same time, report back to our investors to say, okay, hey, it's been one year into the rental home program. You know, John and Mary, the tenant buyer, they have been, you know, uh, successful at A, B, and C, whether it's, you know, their the down payments, they've paid on time every month, the credits, uh, their credit score has improved by, you know, whatever, 14 points, 50 points, those types of things where we're monitoring it and then reporting back to our investors that we are a liaison of, mm -hmm. of, of the whole project itself. So when you buy these property, um, you and the investor buy these properties, what price are you offering? Are you buying it at retail or are you knocking off a certain percentage? Yeah, I would say over 90%, if not 95% of all the properties that we bought have been on the MLS that have been listed by private individuals, people that don't want to sell their properties anymore, because it's, it's really, we are buying it from an, an, an investment standpoint. But it's mm -hmm. a single family home where these clients and tenant buyers are going to live and buy the house back from us. So um, it is. Yeah, there's you know, we try to get the best deal and negotiate back, you know, and we always say list price is wish price. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we always try to negotiate for the best for the best possible um, price and in, in, in terms for on behalf of our tenant buyers, because we, we sell back at an appreciated price. So if we buy it for lower, the appreciated price will be lower. And the example that if the budget for the client is, I don't know, $400,000, if we can, you know, stay within lower of their budget and find the price of their dreams at three fifty dollars or get it for three fifty, dollars then that's extra $50,000 in their pocket in equity. And, you know, in most cases, you know, real estate will, will eventually go up and, 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 um, and be more valuable in the future, right? That depends. Uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I would have said yes, but you know, because I started investing in real estate back in 2008, mm -hmm. right at the crash. So, um, sure. to me, there's a potential of a crash and you could, you know, still lose money. Absolutely. And yeah, you know what? And believe me, we felt some of the tremors up here up in Canada from, from the U S um, you know, not to keep waving the, the Canadian flag, but, um, you know, the banking system, a little bit different, couple nuances and differences. Um, but it, it was a mentor of mine that was from Missouri. So he was from just outside of Missouri. Or sorry, Missouri is the state, right? I don't know. I got to get my Canadian, my uh, U.S. Uh, yeah. geography right. But, but he's from Missouri, maybe just outside of St. Louis. And, uh -huh. and he said, well, people always need somewhere to live at the end of the day. So it's not something that like it's like a, a fashion trend or a certain type of product or car. 
that real estate, you know, if you can, if you buy it properly and you can hold on to it, you, you, people always need somewhere to live. And when I'm looking, when we're looking at from a rental product, um, that's, you know, in some cases when in markets like that, rentals actually increase because less people can buy. Um, so, but yes, you're right. No, no one has a crystal ball in terms of what could happen. But again, um, I do think it's like a, real estate is a safe investment for in versus or in comparison to a lot of other products out there. Oh yeah, definitely. And the reason why I, I brought that up is because typically in, in the U.S., when you do an, a lease option, you bum up the price, right? Like you said, you are selling it back to the tenant buyer at an appreciated price. Correct. Something in the future. You, you're banking on that appreciation. Yes. But in a rare occasion that it could happen where in the future, even though the contract you have, let's say you bought it at 350 and now you have the contract to sell it back to your tenant buyer at 450 but in the event that in the two, three years contract uh, and say, let's say at the end of the three year, it, it went flat, you know, at 350 or even went down to 300. Sure. What happened at that point with, with your program? Absolutely. And, and that's the, the benefit is um, as well, too, for the listeners out there. So, uh, you know, it's JAG Properties, but we also are part of the Canadian Association of Rent-to-Own Professionals. So we work with rent-to-own professionals across the country. And as we know, real estate, there's no you know Canadian real estate market. There's no U.S. real estate market. It's very localized to different regions and different areas. So right. uh, different parts of the country, like in, in Alberta, where the, the they're very dependent on oil prices, right? So the, the way the real estate or, and, and really the economy of the province goes is with what the oil companies are doing in that province. So about two and a half years ago, three years ago now, probably like in 16, 17, that's what um, in Alberta, that, that was the case. And luckily we had colleagues. Now we didn't invest in Alberta ourselves, but we have colleagues that have done the same thing that we've done in Ontario in Alberta. And that's what, the, that's what happened was they were for they were now coming to term these rent to own projects, uh, selling back at four fifty, and basically it wouldn't appraise. The, the the appraisers wouldn't appraise at four fifty. wasn't worth that. So what the and which I thought was very you know creative on what they did is they basically created an extension. They extended the program to like basically a, a twelve month or an eighteen month or two year term to say okay let's ride it out let's see what this market is going to do. And in most cases, I believe, you know, the conversations that I have with, with the colleagues out there, in most cases, the, the property prices did get back up to or very close to the, that, that future purchase price of where they needed to be. Maybe it wasn't the 450 right on, but they said, okay, it's 440. Let's split the difference. Let's, you know, close out this project and move on. Um, so that is the case. The other part that protects against that as well is we use very conservative appreciation rates. Now, in some local cities that we work in, in Ontario, um, from 20, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, they were just appreciating at double digits, 12, 15. In some cities, GTA, like Toronto, that, you know, where the NBA champions are from, um, <laughs> that, that, that city, that city uh, appreciated like almost like, you know, 23, 24, 25% year over year. And, you know, we were still using very conservative appreciation rates of, you know, four, five, six percent. And that protected because in, in some of the cases that we when they were going to appraise, the appraisal were actually higher than the purchase price that the tenant buyer would have to buy. 
and they had instant equity into the home. Now, the lenders don't typically give you that extra. They'll praise at what the purchase price is, um, but they were getting you know much higher appraisals than what they were buying the properties for. So that's kind of how we kind of protect against that. Now, you know, if there is a crash or another crash, I think it's we've learned a lot from that 2008 and people are a little bit more weary and, you know, the cost of money and different things that go on in the market. But again, we try to be very conservative so that the client is in the best position to qualify. So if that's a lower, if the property is is worth more than what they're buying it for, that's a good way to protect against that. And then again, to strengthen their financial well-being and their status of their credit, their income and their down payment so that they're on a strong standing so that they're appealing or they're, they're uh, what's the word I'm looking for is that the, the, they're attractive to the lender as well, too, as a strong lender. Got it. So let's take a moment and switch side. So, so far we have talked about your side and your business, your investor side. Let's go to the tenant side. So how do you pick a tenant buyer besides the, the top three criteria that you mentioned earlier, the credit, the down payment? Um, how do you pick who to work with? Yeah, it's it's kind of an art and a science kind of mixed into two where, you know, we have certain questionnaires. We have, you know, uh, uh, I still do, you know, um, telecommunicate like, or video calls with, with some of our tenant buyers. And if it's close by, not too far, we'll meet in person. And it's really kind of, you know, it, when we talk about um, the criteria of the credit income and down payment, those are numbers. You can a credit number, a credit score is a number. A, an income is a number. Uh, a down payment is a number. So what we're trying to find out is how motivated they are to become a homeowner, right? So that's the criteria that we're trying to uncover with with the clients is that, hey, if you're going to own this house one day. So if something happens or you need to repair something into the home, are you able and willing to do that to maintain your property? It's, it's, it's something that is important to us that you're going to have to own the property one day. So do you really want to own a home? There's a lot that goes on in owning a home. So there's different questionnaires, interviews, um, even in the way that we collect the information that we need from them from for their credit, their income, like all those statements, all that kind of stuff, tax returns that, you know, if they're replying in you know 24 to 48 hours based on what we're asking for, well, they're keen. There's somebody that's going to maybe, you know, a better likeliness of them following through on a program when they're talking about fixing their income, credit, and down payment. If they're taking weeks and they're saying, oh, no, that sounds hard. Well, that's too much. And it's very argumentative right from the beginning. You know, that's kind of a criteria that we're like, wow, do we want to really start a three-year relationship with this type of person? So um, that's come over time and and with some experiences. Initially, I was a little bit more naive and I just believed everything that, you know, tenants or tenant buyers would say, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to start a new business. You know, I'm going to have all this. And. Um, it's unfortunate, but sometimes it doesn't happen and they don't fall through. The intentions are great. So it's really kind of, okay, that sounds awesome. Okay. Show me a clear path on how that's actually going to happen. Um, and then again, within our own company, we've strengthened our financial, um, our financial team where we had our, have a staff of three to four people, uh, constantly following up with our clients, meeting, meeting them in person, talking about finances and not only just worrying about getting them a mortgage, but mm-hmm. really helping them understand their financial, uh, their financial whereabouts. Like in terms of, I don't know how it works in Like we have a little bit, obviously different system with Canada, U S but how a credit score is made up. I'm not sure if that is a class 
in, in elementary school and high school or even like a mandatory university class like i think it should be it's still uh is a a secret there there are a lot of people out there teaching you how to improve your score but really no one knows the exact formula that um they use to come up with a score that's right and that's what like the, the you know the banks or you know they they the, the famous they what they don't want us to know um and and that's not and i think when when i started learning about it myself what through educating you know through the book and robert kiyosaki and, and and doing all that kind of stuff i think it is our own responsibility to learn that on our own because if we're dependent on they to take care of our financial well-being well hey if it comes to me or they they're going to choose they they're going to choose themselves so we that that's the key part that maybe you know encompassing as we're talking this through is that the client that wants to help themselves to get on a better financial track. We love helping people. I, I don't help people that I want to help them more than they want to help themselves. And is there anyone that, besides the obvious, but is there anyone that you have to turn down because of a certain character? Let's say um, something they've done in the past and now, you know, because of it, they cannot get a loan. Yeah, so we, we've had several clients that have actually had claimed bankruptcies or had, in Canada, we call them consumer proposals, where okay. they have to pay out their creditors. So we, they've had that blemish on, on, their, on their credit score and their credit report, and lenders see that. And then when we're pulling their credit, we see that. But it's just a little bit of a higher criteria. So it's the same way that you know they just have to have more saved, and they just need to have a higher credit score. The job is a little bit tougher for them to go from a normal person that maybe it's just they need to save up a little bit more down payment because of the credit or sorry because of the consumer proposal or bankruptcy they do have kind of like a black mark on them so that they are more aware the criteria is a little bit harder right i always i always use this analogy and, I, and it's i hope it's okay if i kind of go in this or share the story but I, I think most banks or lenders um you know they're they're the, the term is that it's like they're giving, they're giving their money away to people that they think they can handle it, okay? So I always use this analogy that, you know what, a teenager, okay, you're, you're 15, 16, 17 years old, you're in high school, you're starting, you know, to, to, to experiment with new things, and you, you have a parent, your parents' liquor cabinet, and it's open, and you take a little bit of liquor out of there, and you maybe take a half a bottle, and you fill up your, your bottle, you take it out, you have a great night with your friends, you come home, and, you know, you go to sleep and sound, everybody's safe, nobody gets hurt, nothing happens. You know, you can go back, take a little bit more. And then even maybe the parents are so open and saying, hey, you know what? It's okay here. Why don't you take this bottle, but make sure you're you're safe and all that. And that's what the banks want is somebody that can handle that money versus somebody that broke into the liquor cabinet, you know, maybe drank the whole bottle, uh, caused trouble and, you know, broke property or something like that. They're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're putting a heavier duty or lock on this. We're not letting you into our liquor cabinet. So that's like kind of like the the way the analogy that I try to share with our people is that if you can handle your liquor, quote unquote, handle your money, then you're going to get more access to it versus that if you can't, you're not going to get that access to it. So um, to try to simplify it in that way. Got it. Got it. Now, in terms of, let's say you now identified um, some client, someone that you are now going to work with them. What kind of money do they need to pay you um, to get started so there's no additional like fees or let's say costs outside of their initial deposit um 
I, I can't, uh, you know, it's different for everybody, but based on what their deposit is, is that that's what they'll be able to qualify for. So there's no fees, there's no application fees, there's no cost to talk to see if they will qualify. It's really kind of like a, a, a no, no, no commitment type of conversation to see if they do qualify. Uh, what we've decided in terms of our minimums that we work with is that they need to make $65,000 of income and have at least $10,000 saved for a down payment. If they have those two things, they can qualify, but obviously from a lower end spectrum, maybe a, a two to $300,000 property. Versus if you have more saved, uh, 20 to 30 to 40,000, and your income is higher, you know, 80, 90, 100,000, now you're getting into the range of maybe four to $500,000 properties that you'll be able to qualify. Based on that criteria of what's your credit score, income and down payment, that's where that formula comes into place. And it's not that I don't want to say it or like the banks that I don't want to share how that works, but it is different for every single person based on what they make, based on what they have saved and based on what their credit score is. And I just want to ask you on something that you just mentioned earlier, and you use the word deposit. Is it what you call that money that they have to pay you? That's right. It's it, Well, the okay. official term is the initial option consideration. So okay. that, that, that or that option deposit. So once that they give that deposit, that's what they're saying. It's basically like a first right of refusal that they have to buy in three years. So that is kind of securing that option deposit that they get that back in three years if they follow the program and qualify for a mortgage to buy the house. So that that deposit, that $10,000 minimum in, in the official, the way that we learned it or the way that it's called here is the initial option consideration. Right. Here in the U.S., um, when I was doing it, uh, it's a little bit different. We don't call it a deposit because um, if it's a deposit, you have to pay back to them. It's implied. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. So <laughs> that's right. The language is very, uh, yeah, is, is, is clear in our contracts. I short form it and say deposit. And uh, yeah, we're in a very litigious society. So we have to make sure that the, we're using the proper words and, and contracts and all that stuff. Course. Yeah, yeah. So it's consideration or option fee, whatever. So whatever you put in the contract, for those of you that are listening, whatever you put in the contract, make sure they know they're not going to get that money back. They may get it back when they exercise the option That's and right. uh, in terms of a, a credit right toward the purchase price. Um, and I'm not sure if, it, if you do that, but when I was doing the option, um, I always you know, apply that toward their purchase price and give Correct. them a credit that way. Um, but at no point do they get that money back, you know, if they fail the program and, and move out. That's right. That's right. And, and, and that's exactly, it's the same method, right? So that's why, yeah, as you say deposit, yeah, that's why it's implied it's coming back, but it's the same way that it is, it's not return if they don't qualify for the program, if they don't meet the criteria. The same way that if you and I were to go buy a real, like an investment property and, you know, there's certain criteria that we need to hit with the bank or with whoever. And if we don't meet that criteria, then we're not going to qualify. We could lose a deposit. Right. So or, or you know, it's consideration of, of that contract. So, yeah, that's it's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up to, to clarify. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought it's different. So that's why I asked, you know, yeah, but yeah. Seems like the same same thing. So another process um, that I want to ask you on is, you know, what could go wrong for the investor um, that partner with you? Let's say that um, this person, this tenant buyer, 
do not pay and you have to evict uh, that person, right? So are there, um, how, how, how landlord friendly is it uh, in the areas that you invest in? Not the most landlord friendly. I know there's some states, uh, I have some friends of mine here that invest in, in the US and there's some states that it's just amazing that uh, everybody I think should be investing in those because they are very landlord friendly. In Ontario, I, I would call it like, uh, let's call it 50-50 with a skew, a definite skew towards the tenants. Um, if they do stop paying, because because of the agreements that we have written up, they, they are renting the property, they are renters. So they have an obligation to pay every month. If they don't, then we go through the normal eviction process or, or you know, payment collection process where on the first day that they miss payment, you have you send that notice, they get an additional 14 days to pay. If they don't, now there's an order of, of eviction, but then that takes 11 days and then getting different you know, uh, sheriffs or different people out there. It's probably a month, a month and a half, let's say two to evict somebody. So the, the risk to an investor or joint venture partners, yeah, there is that loss of two months or more of, of, of lost rents. But the also the benefit is that because we are currently in or control the property or own the property, now we have the option of potentially finding another rent-to-own client, which we typically don't do because it's a property first. We want the client to pick the property versus us have a property. They have to qualify for it and they have to like it. There's just more variables um, that, that maybe don't align. So, But that is an option to rent-to-own the property again. Uh, there is the option of just to have it as a straight rental property and just find put normal, let's call them normal tenants, um, if there's such thing, uh, but a tenant that uh, that goes into the property that will rent it normally. Uh, we could reno, renovate the property, uh, maybe turn it into a secondary suite if, if, that, if that, that property is, is zoned properly and it is capable of doing that. Or ultimately, we, we sell the property. We, we, we put it up for sale. And now we're not um, tied to what we were supposed to sell it back or what we agreed to sell it back to that client or tenant buyer. Now it's open on the market to what the market will bear and obviously get the highest price. So when we when we talk to our joint venture partners or our investors, we lay those exit strategies out and you know we hope for the best and plan A, B, and C is for the client to, to qualify and own the property and do everything that we can to do that. And again, in other cases, we extend you know the rent-to-own program that they don't qualify. Um, but then if they can't qualify, that's what we'll take one of those best courses of action and see what's the highest and best use of the property so that we're, we're all making our return and, and on investment that we made uh, on that property. Cool, cool. Now, during this process in the two or three years that the tenant buyer is in, in your property, um, who's, who is responsible for taking care of the maintenance and repairs and the yard works and great major, question. major repair in the house? Yeah, that's a great question. And really what is a separator? Again, maybe another reason why the, the rent to own strategy kind of was attractive to me is that the clients and the tenant buyers, they're responsible for the repairs and maintenance on the property. Again, like we can call it rent to own a lease option. What I like to call it is a home ownership and training where the clients that, you know, that are there, they want to take care of those. They're actually not only just maintaining, but in most cases that we've seen in, in the, you know, the 150 some odd projects that we've worked on, there's a lot of clients that are renewing the place to, to put it in better condition than when we bought it. Right. And, but back to your question is, yeah, they, they would be responsible for the repairs and maintenance of the property. If something unforeseen happens, um, we're there for support. 
because sometimes there are unscrupulous um, people out there that maybe take advantage of people that don't understand that, you know, certain things cost a certain much and, and, and we'll help them walk them through and, you know, call the right trades or the right person, you know, whether it's a foundation or a plumber, an electrician, roofing, windows, furnace, all that kind of stuff where we have experts in the different markets that we work in and can refer them to, to the people that we know and trust that will take care of the issue in, in a proper way. Because ultimately, again, the property is still ours. We control it. We want to make sure that it's done and, and any repairs or maintenance and even approve our improvements are done in the right way so that it's not you know taking away from the value of the property. It's actually increasing the value because that helps them. It helps us and helps the, the program altogether. So that, again, that's another maybe back to the question that you asked earlier, another criteria or, or how besides the, the income down payment and credit score is somebody that is willing and able to accept that. We've walked away from projects where we were at a home inspection and you know the, the tenant buyer, the client was saying, I have to do this, I have to fix that, I have to fix this. Well, it's your home, it's gonna be your home, you're, you're gonna fall. And we said, well, if you're not willing to do that, then we're not willing to work with you either. So it has to be a kind of a cooperative partnership. So then a question that I uh, just came up with in this situation, it seems like the home, I'm sorry, the tenant buyer is acting as a homeowner, like you said, as a homeowner in training. Yes. So is there any reason for you and the investor um, not to sell that house at um, owner finance, but rather do an um, own, um, lease option? Um. Okay, so ask me that again. So if there's any reason why we wouldn't... Why you wouldn't finance the house. Let's say the tenant buyers... Oh, uh, I see. Okay. You know, because they're acting as a homeowner right now. They're paying you your yep. PITI, your, and yep. they're paying you a premium on top of that. Yep. Right? So is there a reason for, for you not to do... Um, if if they don't follow finance. yeah if they don't follow the terms of the agreement the contract improve their credit uh, you know claim their income properly the down payment if they've met all the criteria of the program and and they qualify for the mortgage there's there's no reason it, it might maybe get delayed a couple of weeks because of you know paperwork and and, and mortgage lenders and, and getting all that information across but no um, if, if they're on par and they follow the program and they qualify. That's to us. That's the, to start the rent to own program. It's great, um, but to conclude and sell back to the, the client, that is when we really see a success, uh, or we like you know that's our definition of a successful program. Not starting it, but seeing it through to the mm -hmm. end where they buy the home. Um, so we're doing everything in our power, training, educating the client, um, putting them in the best position so that they they are successful. That that's really the goal of the company. So there's not. Um, there's not any reason that we would say, no, oh, because we used a 5% appreciation and now the market did 25. Well, too bad. Sorry, get out of the way. We're going to go sell it for the 25. No, we've, we've actually written it down. They know what their purchase price is at the end. It's predetermined before we even go firm on buying the property or even start the rental own program. It, it's agreed upon ahead of time. Um, yeah, there's not nothing that, you know, that would, would, would say we're, we're not going to. Mm -hmm. Well, and so your mission is is different. You you want to help people get into the homes. I'm on the other side. I'm just I'm strictly an investor. So to me, it's a holy grail to get someone in as a tenant, and then you put them in a rent to own as a tenant buyer. Then they exit, and let's say they cannot um, 
get everything fixed and cannot qualify for a loan. Or now I can put them in a owner finance program where I don't have to worry about repairing anything. They are the homeowner. I just have to get the the mortgage every month. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that there you go. That that's a little bit of a different of the of the model. But yeah, the owner of financing you have they're covering you like you said your PITI, and you're you're profitable and cash flow coming in like Robert Kiyosaki says cash flow is king. So there's different models for us. We we've built a like a financial education system because like I said to you earlier, whether it's the U.S. or Canada, there's not enough financial literacy. Um, that's mandated. It's, it's all reliant on us finding it out on our on our own. Um, there are some things that are starting to trickle through. It's long overdue, but that's where I want to leave my mark and in, in our mark in the world of we've helped people now own their homes. I'm I'm a I'm a first generation Canadian. My family immigrated to Canada from Italy, and if it wasn't with some help of other people that we knew here, and you know, getting mortgages and finances. Um, we wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today. So if I can help more and more people, even if one more person, or, you know, 10 more people, five more people, whatever, to, to get into that same position of owning their home, that is the most important thing in, in most people's lives is if you go through the, like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, you know, uh, food and water, but then there's shelter shortly after. So um, that, yep. that's the legacy and mark that we want to help people get into their own homes and, and then create that legacy for their own family. Exactly. And for those of you that are listening, um, Alfonso mentioned that he has a um, investing training education uh, side of the company as well. And so I want to share with you, there is his podcast is called the Right Club Podcast. That's right. And R-E-I-T-E, Real Estate Investing Training Education Club. How? Uh, when are you going to launch it and what's it about? Yeah, so our podcast actually we just hit our uh, our fiftieth episode earlier this year that we've done. So uh, and we've have a whole bunch of recording coming out. That's been super fun on the podcast. Similar to what you do, that's why I admire so much of what you do. V is that you're helping other people learn. You know, having on some cool guests, and I hope that I've been able to bring some value to to the guests today. But we do the same thing where we spotlight and highlight people of our community that have done some amazing things that have owned you know hundreds of doors or created another system or uh, you know uh, m- members of our power teams of like lawyers and and accountants and mortgage brokers and realtors and home inspectors and all those different people that we work with that every transaction whether it's a rent to own a multifamily a normal single family that there's there's those pieces of the puzzle that always have to be put together and working with what we think is some of the best and the best of the industry um, so yeah, the Right Club is is a, is a passion project for me. That we once a month in Burlington, Ontario, um, we we meet together, and there's probably about 150 to 200 investors that come out on a monthly basis. And what spawned that was the podcast um, that we you know we started doing that once once we started getting some traction. And now what we're super excited about that we're launching, uh, you know, at the time we're recording this is mid January, but at the end of January we're going to be launching our Right club online community where you can continue the conversation outside of that networking room where you can reach out to somebody that has done you know 10 multifamily um uh, projects and has some experience or talk to a lawyer about is it best to have it in a corporation or in a personal name uh you can talk to you you can have access to probably like you know different podcasts and you know we're gonna have to talk about how we can make sure that our right club community has access to you and your podcast and and just finding different resources it's almost like a library of like a modern day library of real estate resources training and education where 
there's forums, there's the, um, there's going to be webinars, there'll be, you know, uh, articles, there'll be videos, how to's, there'll be um, even calculators on, you know, on a certain type of property. I know we're looking at uploading um, our, our, our rental and calculator, what dictates a good deal, what to look for. So to kind of have that, and that's a, the, the Right Club community, that's been amazing for us. And it's been able to, co to connect so many people that, you know, they've been able to do things so much, uh, so much quicker because you can lean on the experiences of other investors and, and, and other people that you can learn from their experience and learn from their, you know, good and bad and, and everything in between that, that, that they've learned. That's awesome, man. Now, one more question before I let you go. What is your uh, most favorite success or mind quote, uh, mindset quote? Ooh, oh, that's simple. So he's an American and uh, American car company, Ford, Henry Ford. And his quote was, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And I take that in my personal life. I take that in my business. I take that in my relationships with with, you know, in spirituality, in my physical fitness, all those types of things is that the first step of doing anything is that you have to believe that you can't. And if you can't wrap your mind around that, you know, if it's all, it's not for me. And I oh know that those are those people that do that. They're the people that have that do those kinds of things. And if you don't believe that you can do it, you never will. And, you know, and don't let, you know, don't let people that haven't done it tell you that you can't. Because that's more, uh, you know, a limitation that they're putting on themselves uh, that they don't want you to achieve it, right? And, um, you know, it's not on purpose, but they don't understand that. But I think that that's my favorite mindset quote is anything that is tough. If you really want to go and do it, you have to believe that you can. And if you're right out of the gate not believing that you can, you don't have a shot. Awesome, Alfonso. Thank you so much, man. You've been great. And uh, I'm glad to have you on, Paisan. Paisano, thank you very much. Ti ringrazio, ti ringrazio. Grazie, grazie. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.